This is Partners in Practice, a weekly series dedicated to the evolving field of the advanced practice clinician. Here is your host nurse practitioner, Mimi Secor. As the number of baby boomers and senior citizens explodes in the United States, the demand for clinical services for bladder health and incontinence problems is also increasing dramatically. Overactive bladder problems affect an estimated 17 million women and men in the United States, with up to 22% of adults over the age of 40 suffering from overactive bladder symptoms. Most providers do not have the time, interest, or expertise to treat these complex and time-consuming issues. Therefore, the need is not being met. Establishing a successful bladder health program either independently or within an existing clinical practice provides a much-needed service to help men and women suffering from incontinence. With me today is nurse practitioner Helen Carcio, the founder, owner, and director of the Health and Continence Institute in South Deerfield, Massachusetts. And today we are discussing how advanced practice clinicians, including nurse practitioners, PAs, and physicians, can partner to establish a financially rewarding and successful bladder health program. Hello, Helen. Welcome to ReachMD. Thanks, Mimi. I'm always delighted to be sitting across from you in this wonderful new program. Thank you. I know you've been a pioneer and clinical expert in women's health for many years. When did you first develop an interest in bladder health and why? Well, as we all know, we are aging and sagging. I hate to say, but I'm reminded of this every day when I look at myself in the mirror. However, in my clinical practice setting, the population that I had been dealing with often complained about incontinence problems. It's a huge problem that affects nearly 33 million Americans. And, you know, the interesting thing is this does not include the people who do not report it. They don't want to talk about it, particularly elderly women, because they think it's a normal part of aging. It was just amazing. What really inspired me is that I had a 92-year-old grandmother who had eight children, and I asked her to write down how she felt about her incontinence problem, and she wrote, shameful. And I thought to myself, no 80- or 92-year-old woman should ever be shameful about anything. So I set about to change that. Why did you start offering courses to train clinicians in how to manage this widespread problem? Well, I first saw the lack of resources within my own community, so I set about to establish a comprehensive, conservative approach to bladder health within the OBGYN setting that I was working in at the time. Amazingly enough, the program after one year exceeded all of our expectations in the fact that I would say 100% of those who went through the program improved and I had a 30 to 40% dry rate. So I then realized that the best way to help most men and women get better was to establish a mechanism for other providers across the country to learn how to start a similar program using my model and I think there was just no reason why anyone needed to reinvent the wheel because I'd already done the mold for them. You're such a great educator. and You're always the first to you know, pass on the information that you learn about. When did you start actually offering these courses, these programs? Well, this all started about four years ago. And what I do now is that I offer four seminars a year. And in the last few years, I've trained hundreds of physicians, and advanced practice clinicians who have gone on to establish successful programs 
in all parts of the country, from Washington to Texas to Maine to Florida. It's been very exciting. So what are the advantages in starting a bladder health practice? Well, this lack of access to continence care creates an exciting business opportunity for all providers. And it's interesting that many practices already offer a smattering of continence care services. I teach them how to set up an organized program and to basically package existing clinical services that they have and offer a unique approach. This is so welcomed by the community. It reinforces their positive image, gives them new ways to do marketing. Such a service draws all of these men and women who are suffering from incontinence for much-needed help, increasing their clinical base. That's wonderful. So how have the reimbursements for the bladder health program been affected by recent Medicare cutbacks, Helen? Oh, as you know, there have been a lot of setbacks. Loss of the consultation code is a blow and cuts back maybe 21%. But... Interestingly enough, there are very few cutbacks that affect the continence care program because it's procedure-based. This, instead of being upset by the cutbacks by Medicare, this is a time for practices to become creative. Establishing a bladder health program will help offset, believe it or not, these Medicare losses and expand existing services by offering this program. What are some of the procedure-based procedures that you can bill for, Helen, just to help our audience understand this a little bit Well, I was once told that you have to tube it or lose it. By lose it, I mean losing revenue. But a lot of the procedures are catheterizations for post-void residual, a wonderful new procedure that's called a simple systometrogram, which reimburses about $300, and Medicare loves it because you can accurately diagnose the type of incontinence the individual may have. And what is the revenue-generating potential for this kind of bladder health program, Helen? Each person who goes through my model progresses through a series of six to eight visits. For each visit, you can receive or one can bill between $150 to $450 in charges. That transfers into $1,400 to $25. $400, which is more than an OB patient who takes a lot more work. I think their average reimbursement for a pregnancy is $1,800. And this does not include reimbursements for using the services that are already in the center. That's one of the beauties. You can use your ultrasound more. You can use your lab more. And all of these things just increase how well you can run your program. Can you share with us, Helen, what you might do during a typical visit during one of these six- to eight-week visits, just so we can visualize this a little more? A lot of it is spent educating. That's why nurse practitioners are perfectly suited, and PAs are suited to the role. And I spend the first few minutes talking to them about what the program entails, and I do a detailed health history. Then I walk through all the steps of treating them. When we're looking at this from a business point of view, what are some of the startup costs for people that might be really considering this? They're much less than one would figure out, judging from the fact that you could bring in reimbursements of $200,000 to $300,000. 
the startup costs are minimal and probably only the cost of one to two programs who progress through the systems. The startup costs are anywhere from 50 bucks to $20,000, depending on what type of equipment you need that you might not already have. If you're just joining us, you are listening to ReachMD XM160, Partners in Practice, and I'm Nurse Practitioner Mimi Secor, and I'm speaking today with Nurse Practitioner Helen Carcio about establishing a bladder health program. When you talk, Helen, about startup costs, you gave us kind of a range in terms of how much a person might spend. What kinds of equipment specifically are you referring to that might be needed? You know, it always surprises me that many of the supplies are not expensive at all. The catheters range between $0.05 cents to $3. Probably the big expense is to have some pelvic floor rehabilitation equipment, which is a computer which picks up the firing of the motor units in the vaginal area in the pelvic floor and transfers them to a screen on the computer, and it's an integral part of the program. And so that's probably the most expensive at around $2,500. And the good news is they used to be $7,500, and you could not transport them. Now it's portable, it's small, and you can expand to nursing homes, you can expand to the curves. I want everyone to become the curves of continents. And you can do all sorts of exciting things. So that's about the most expensive part of the whole new program. That's interesting. So that's pretty affordable. Have you yourself gone into nursing homes with the equipment, with your program? I am just starting to. And Medicare has mandated that every woman and man in nursing home has to be evaluated for incontinence. It is so wonderful that they are right now being treated with dignity. So I'm just starting to do that, and it's very rewarding. So how is incontinence treated in your bladder health centers? I know you mentioned that you take more of a conservative approach. It is exactly. It's very conservative. It offers a mixture of behavior modification. This includes dietary management. People don't realize, and all of us personally can listen to this, that, you know, what we eat or drink affects how our bladder responds and how much it likes it, and it doesn't like anything acid. I'm forever saying to my patients, avoid the seafoods. They are Coke, coffee, caffeine, carbonation, chocolate, citrus, cranberry juice, condiments, cigarettes, cocktails, to name a few. You're not talking about shrimp out of the Gulf. No, I'm when not. You say seafood. I'm not. <laughs> but it doesn't leave much more to things to have fun with. But just eliminating some of these things from the diet is a very important part of the program. The other part, as I mentioned, and you had asked me about before, is pelvic floor rehabilitation, which uses biofeedback, where you actually do look at the computer on the screen. And woman modifies her response. The whole goal in this situation is that she isolates her pelvic floor muscle, and the pelvic floor muscle, like any muscle, if we bulk it up and tighten it, after all our babies, it actually compresses the urethra, which passes through it like a tube, and prevents incontinence. 
Another thing that you are an expert in, I know, Mimi, after having written the chapter in our new book on atrophic vaginitis, is that we learn how to identify and treat it. We also use vaginal support devices such as pessaries and vaginal weights to make the woman better. So it's not a 12-step approach, but it's a 10-step approach to getting them better. But some patients just say, hey, listen, I've been suffering with this for 10 years. I just want the problem solved, and that's okay. Even though I send very few patients to surgery, this is yet another advantage of a bladder health program and that it provides an internal source for surgical referrals within the practice. And what is the role of the nurse practitioner or PA in these programs that you help clinicians design? This is the really exciting part. I know I've said lots of things are exciting, but this is the exciting part. There are many physicians who would like to offer a bladder program to help these patients get better. They don't want them to suffer from incontinence, but in reality, they just don't have the interest or the time to organize such a program. Ah, so this brings in a wonderful opportunity for the advanced practice clinician. She is ideally suited because of her clinical expertise. She has creative energy. Most of us do, right, Mimi? Right. She has a knack for communicating with patients, and that's important because bladder programs consist of a lot of teaching, a lot of education. Can nurse practitioners establish an independent bladder program, and if so, how can they go about doing that? They sure can. There are more and more independent practitioners going into bladder health. It's relatively easy to do, but they have to be a special person. It's not for everybody to be independent. They have to have some financial resources, a real personal commitment. They may spend more time away from their family. They know how to write a business plan and get money. But most importantly, they need to possess that entrepreneurial spirit. And as a caution, before they go headfirst into this, they have to check with the uh, individual state regulations and uh, find out what their requirements are to set up an independent practice. Thank you, Helen, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking with you again. I'm nurse practitioner Mimi Secor, and you're listening to ReachMD, Partners in Practice, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Partners in Practice on ReachMD, XM160. You can download this program and any other program in our library at ReachMD.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening.